Well, well, well. What's up, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of What's Your Issue, the E2KG Network's weekly comic books review podcast. Here with me, as always, is Mr. Stephen Lore. How you doing, Stephen? I'm doing great. And it's a wild, crazy, wooly week. Expect the unexpected, because our picks for the best things we read this week, things that are in honorable mentions, and things that we are reading next week are, in a few cases, completely and wildly unexpected in the review segment tonight we have heading off i think for some reason my flock is not coming up here we go uh cover number three which i actually read this week uh and i actually put in the rundown for one of my briefing topics so let's go ahead and cover the review cover number three obviously published by marvel no subtitle in this issue created by brian michael bendis and david mack uh, there is a character in the story called. Oh, you made a mistake. It's published by D- uh, DC Jinx World. I'm sorry. I had, yeah, <laughs> I'm still. Uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, it's okay. Go ahead. Still thinking Bendis is with Marvel. Um, yeah, because it's weird because it's not a Vertigo book. Um, it's yeah. this weird imprint title. Uh, so yeah, uh, there is a character in the book called Isad Sins who is clearly. Isad Ribich, who is one of my favorite artists um, in comics, uh, and his art is stylized by Bill Sinkovich, which is another great callback to an artist from my era as a kid growing up with comics, reading things like The New Mutants. Um, colors by Zoo Orzu and letters by Carlos Mangual. Uh, so the situation, uh, international comic book creator Max Field has been recruited by the CIA to do wet work using his attendance at various comic book conventions all over the world as his, wait for it, cover. In the previous issue, Max was captured by Isan Ribich, and yes, I know the character's called Isan Sins, but let's be real. Now, I don't know if there's any real-world beef between Bendis and Ribich, or if they're really good friends, and that's what's behind this, it's all good-natured ribbing, no idea. Sins isn't written as some kind of oaf or a prick either. He's actually written pretty sophisticated um, and impressive. Um, So my only takeaway from this is that if there's any kind of is if there's any kind of commentary on Ribich's character, uh, it's it's complimentary. Uh, Anyway, Sins is pummeling Max for information, something about the events following something that went down in Turkey. Along the way, we get some great commentary on the lives of comic book creators and how they interrelate to each other as well as with normals when they are cavorting at a social level that is not the arm's length at which fans have to be kept. Uh, On art, well, damn. Bill Senkovich, simply one of the greats, and you do not get to see a lot of his work today uh, in a main or ongoing title, so I'm pleased as punch to get it in here. And the David Mack art is damn fine as well. In fact, this issue is pretty much an Eisner award-winning issue as far as I'm concerned. Um, Now, admittedly, I don't know an Eisner from a Dundee, so take what I say with a grain of salt. But let me just say that this is one of the most beautiful issues of comics I've read in 2018. From Max opening pages, which are presented as Max's work, with beautifully eloquent scripting from Bendis that matched the watercolors perfectly, this is an 808 for sure. Disruptive to the comic book industry would be an understatement. Perhaps the best storytelling bend is when Max is on a blind date that is going horribly wrong, and and what Mac does is he kind of starts to fade the character out, which in my mind I interpret it as this is what happens when you're on a blind date and like, you know, at the beginning of the date you're paying attention to what the person's saying, but as the night goes on, 
they're more and more background noise and you kind of start getting into your own head thinking about other things. Um, and then this, you know, as, as Max and his dates, uh, uh, images start to kind of fade until they're just completely white. Um, the characters from his comic books, uh, kind of in a, in a, uh, I don't know what I want to call it in a, uh, in, in a, uh, portrait behind him um starts solidifying and being brought more to the fore uh kind of as if max is leaning back from the date conversation and turning and turning his mind to the next pages he needs to write in his comic anything more i could say about the art in this issue would pretty much be wasted uh it, you know i just can't convey enough how this thing how beautiful this thing looks and you know it's just one of those things you simply need to go put your own eyes on um, bravo is all I would say, I think. Uh, story in stark contrast to my disappointment with this week's other Jinx World comic, which we will get to in the review segment, Pearl. This is the Bendis that I was looking for. Now, admittedly, it's totally inside baseball. If you're not at least a little bit steeped in the industry biz, I'm not certain that this hits off as well. But for me, it was solidly in my wheelhouse, and I'm not someone who's deep, deep into the insider scene of comics. Uh, but I get this, um... The blind date scene, which is a thing I've been exposed to when you're out with doctors or people who are in some other career path that, like, you know, just don't understand, you know, what engineering is or why it's hard or, you know, or quite frankly, they were just in their own heads and it didn't really matter to them. Bendis does an excellent job framing that kind of an archetype um, for a number of horrible people that I've unfortunately had the occasion to be acquainted with. Uh, what makes the mark here more than anything is the wonderful chemistry between each character, Max and his blind date, Max and Julia, Max and Isad. Obviously Bendis is at his best when he's writing based on events from his own life, or at least tethers to his career. And so in placing events that he is familiar with in this mildly fictional setting, he's pretty much writing against the magical formula. I don't always go chasing creator-owned works when they appear to be flights of whimsy, as this kind of is, but at least this particular venture in Jinx World is nailing whatever it is that Bendis was seeking when I guess, you know, he decided that writing Superman comics uh, was not going to keep him busy enough. Um, I scored this one a 9.0 out of 10. Uh, in summary, Bendis has been doing this a long time. He's been prolific to boot. It's tough to sit down and read these books and not hear Powers or Jessica Jones or any of the other works that he's done. Um, combining that with amazing artwork and then intermixing that with the added dollop of stuff from Sinkovich, pretty much an award-winning formula. I'm curious to see how this whole Jinx World thing plays out. I've done drop-ins on two issues, and I've only liked one. I know that this is a transitional place in Bendis' career, and I applaud the opportunity that he's taking to explore, experiment, and seek out a slightly different voice. That being said, I just write about what I like and what I don't. This issue, at least, falls squarely into the realm of the former, and I look forward to seeing cover go on a fairly long run. Now, Stephen, did you also read this issue? Yes, I did. I loved it, every minute of it. And... I just like the suspense of this issue. You're like dying to see what's, what's going to happen as soon as you read it. This intrigues you in a good way. And I do like what the art, the Max, um, the comic artist is going through and with the, with the interrogation and the, that that woman that woman he met and it's just it's just a great um comic book to read yeah 
Yeah, now have you read all of the issues of this so far? Yeah, I read it. I read the first two issues, yeah. I talked about the last issue before in the podcast. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you have been positive on these so far. Yeah, right? I just have. I just was just sure on the first one. The first one was 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 kind of hard to tell. It was actually a good series. It's the second one actually let me know that that it was a good one to keep going into. Not very cool. Now, have you, I, without talking about Pearl? Um, have you read other Jinx World titles, and what is your take on those so far? So far, I only read Cover and Pearl. I haven't. I never read Scarlet because I never read the title when it was in Marvel. Okay. And I had to try to read those issues to understand what's going on there. I don't. I haven't picked up Scarlet yet, so I'm not really familiar with Scarlet. And United States versus Marvel Inc. I don't. I didn't like it when it was that Marvel. And what happened? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Your voice just became super echoey for some reason. But it, oh. but it was in response to something I hit on my helmet. So I don't know if I kicked it into some other kind of. Oh. My helmet. <laughs> Not my helmet. My uh, headphones. Or my headset. It feels like I kicked it into some kind of weird, like Dolby surround sound mode or something. So I don't know what the heck is going on. Hopefully it's not an issue um, with our recording. Uh, so let's go ahead and talk about, I am going to go ahead and talk about, I am trying to get the social media out, which I, I hate, uh, getting too far into the podcast without, uh, getting out the word that we are live. And now I feel a little bit bad because I, uh, mentioned, uh, Bendis in, um, in our tweet, because we were kicking off with cover number three, now I'm hoping he does not tune in to hear me talk about Pearl number four, which I was oh. not as <laughs> pleased with, unfortunately. Um, so uh, so Pearl number four, uh, published by DC, as my esteemed colleague has corrected me, DC slash Jinx World. No subtitle on this one either. Creators Mike, Brian Michael Bendis and Michael Gatos. Uh, letters by Joshua Reed. Uh, so the situation here is that uh, it's gang wars in Japan. I'm not sure what the highly... I'm not sure that the highly specific details matter. This comic has all the stock material dripping off of it that we would expect from a genre comic written in the postmodern age. Protagonists with murdered parents, at least, or at least one of them was, another parent who we don't know, but we're about to find out, with apparently deadly consequences for some starting next issue. Um, meaning that the other parent or the mother I think is mentioned at the end of this issue um, and I guess we're going to get more story on her Pearl is an orphan assassin with a special set of tattoos as far as I can tell there's a guy that she was supposed to kill but didn't and so now the mob is pissed and has put out a hit on her I don't know that it really matters uh, on art the artwork is very similar to what you may have seen on Jessica Jones or Alias in fact at some points I expected to do a page turn to be greeted by the purple man it was so similar um, you just are not going to find any surprises here. There are some panels that are very well done in terms of sprawling cityscapes done in good detail, but there are artists kind of doing the same thing and layering those drawings with less stylized coloring and not hiding any reduction in detail under a mauve color palette. Um, meaning that I felt like you had all these sprawling cityscapes, which could have been a little more detailed, but um, there was this effort to kind of color, you know, use this kind of uh, monotone, uh, 
grape ape kind of color palette um, that, in my opinion, obscured obscured a lot of the detail that you would have seen. Um, but it's so subtle that it could easily be missed, meaning that the fact that the darkish color palette kind of covers up the fact that there's not a ton of detail in the cityscape, um, you might almost miss that if you weren't looking very closely. Um, seeing that it didn't make any more or less impactful uh, and seeing seeing it did not make it any more or less impactful in my consumption of the story the second time around. So again, even though the cityscapes are a little impressive with a little bit of back off off of them still, um, when I uh, when I flipped through it the second time around, that didn't like make me feel better about what I experienced reading the comic. Uh, on story, a lot of what I mentioned before applies to the script. How much it contributed to the issues I've cited before is debatable. Still, my main problem here is that the story does not do a whole heck of a lot above the normal. Each page, I would diligently listen to the dialogue and wait in anticipation for the other shoe to drop as I would turn the page, and each time, bam, nothing. Flat tone. I want to write more about and talk about my reactions to this book and specific elements, but there just isn't enough material here. Like, I got done reading the comic and I literally struggled to come up with talking points. I was like, there's not a lot to say about this comic. It doesn't do a whole heck of a lot. It's hard for me to say that that makes it something that I didn't like, but there's nothing for me to talk about that I did like, which means inherently it must be something that I didn't really care for. Um, it, it kind of felt like, um, uh, it just it 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 was a bit it was a bit of a distraction in my overall pull this week in my overall stack. I kind of read it and I was like, huh, like oh okay, what's next? Right, it was just kind of how I felt about it. Um, so uh, I scored this a five point five out of ten. Pearl, at least this issue this issue appears to be uh, the most creatively mundane of all the new titles that launched as part of Bendis's connected world side gig i feel like i'm supposed to like this right like, like i feel like the the uh, mob mentality maybe but like the, the greater world of comics critics and fans and yada 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 every, like everybody i feel like in the back of my head as i was writing my talking points i'm like ah, people are gonna say that you're supposed to like this right you're a comic book guy you're supposed <laughs> well, to your like opinion. you're not supposed to like right 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 <laughs> but but i feel but i feel like that's what people are gonna say right um that there's some obligation to be approving of Bendis's work, uh, but I just can't muster the energy to do so. Um, and I, of course, I was writing these notes at the at the time that I'd finished reading the comic. Like I just couldn't muster the energy to like find something in it to gush. Right. And my point of a good comic is, you're not supposed to have to work hard to find things to say good about it. Right. Um, it's perfectly mm -hmm. feasible that this book will course correct itself before it's all over. Um, and I wish the creative team. All the luck in the world. For readers, there's not anything wrong with this issue. It's just that it doesn't provide many outcroppings for you to latch on to and continue your ascent. Um, whereas cover, I was like, like every like every page, I was kind of like, hmm, let me marinate on this a little bit. Let me reread a few of these panels. But like, I just kind of ho-hum flipped through Pearl. And I was like, okay, that, whatever. I don't know. Steven, did you read this issue? Yes, and I agree with you. Uh, I was this one was unexpected. I didn't think I was gonna like this issue. Okay. Because uh, I mean, I didn't know I was not gonna like this issue. Gotcha. Because I've been liking the first three issues, and this one was a weak point. Because it's just like nothing happened. The only thing that did happen was 
uh finding out about the mother working for the for the um for the father's mom the, the yakuza organization right 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 yeah well i tell you what did happen in this issue is a lot of dialogue it's a very yeah, wordy dialogue it, it felt like watching an indie movie like 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 an indie movie where nothing happens and it's just a movie of talking heads and i get that and i get that there's value in that i have to be in a certain mood for that uh and i was not i guess i just wasn't in the mood for that this week um it, it's different when it's you know particularly witty scripting and i just didn't feel like this like i like the scripting in this did not compare to cover and it's the same person writing it and i and i think i don't know if i want to say i don't i i don't know if this is an issue of like a person who's trying to do too much right i think i know what the main issue is because yeah, uh this issue was an, was first announced as a mini a six issue mini series okay and then when the sales went up, they decided to make it as an ongoing. Okay. okay. I think it's planned to it was planned to run as a six issue miniseries, and now that it's not, I think Bendis has probably got caught in like a writer's block, like what to write as it, what to write if it's going as an ongoing now. But but do you think he's into that already? Because I mean, wouldn't he have like scripted out like the first six issues already? I don't know because I remember it was announced. It was a mini series, and now it's announced an ongoing. Right. And now this is this issue wasn't as good as the other three. Yeah, I I personally feel, and again, we're all speculating here, right? What what I feel like is I feel like this. I I feel like. Because this happens, and I think this happens to all of us. I I feel like this is a pitch that cuts too close to 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 roads previously traveled. Like I feel like there's part of this pitch that is very akin to Jessica Jones, and there's a bit of a creative struggle in trying to separate and differentiate it. Right? That yeah. Like maybe there was a feeling like, hey, what what would happen if you basically t- took Jessica Jones and put her in the Yakuza? Right? And I think. There's a there's a bit of just trying to get your teeth sunk into, okay, how is that really different? And when you don't, I I, I think maybe there's sometimes maybe an unfortunate tendency to write it a little play like like I could see these scenes happening between Jessica Jones and Luke Cage, right, and being wonderful scenes, right, of just the two of them talking. Yeah. Um, but I, I think this is one that's that's slow burning and, and needs a little time to catch up. Uh, yeah. So yeah. And he probably spread the story out because he now he now knows it's ongoing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Potentially. So talk to me about Quantum and Woody. Uh, this is a, people used to rave about this series when it initially launched. I think this is like the seventh or eighth volume. It seems like whenever they get going, they never get too far past issue number 12 um yes i have i don't have some positive things to talk about in this issue okay because okay. <laughs> uh yeah this this is um content voting number 12 and it's written by elliot rahal and the artist is francis portella and this is the final issue of the series and I didn't like it. It was really angered me because uh, 
they've written Chapsaw, Chapshaw, which is uh, the general, really out of character. Because the thing is, they're, they, uh, she put Quantum and Woody inside a containment, like in prison, because of what happened in the last issue with their uh, cause reality to be construed, like they fucked up reality and and they fixed it and now she still wants to put them in prison and so they don't ever touch reality ever again and don't have a life and she uh she speaks to, um exo exo manowar finds out what happens and he doesn't agree with her and they have some type of conflict and by the end of the issue, uh, Exo Manowar lets them go secretly, and she finds out, and now they become criminals. So this is this is the general that has featured prominently in Exo Manowar since man since one of his reboots, maybe a couple years ago. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I think she actually started off as like a major or a captain or something, and has been yeah. working up the ranks. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, the only problem is that. With Chapsaw, she's a she's a person that sees um she's able to see right through people. She's able to it's just cause Exo Manowar used to be a fugitive and okay. it just doesn't it seems kinda out of character for her to like not understand that these two guys are just misfits. They're good people, but they don't know they're just unorganized. That's all there is about them. And I thought she would see right through that and understand Okay, I'll give them another chance. They just messed up. So right, right. it's kind of weird. And what bothers me is that uh, Vanny has been like going through this fallout because I know they they uh, got brought by DM, some company, some Asian company. I forgot what it's called. DMZ, DMZ I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, I haven't followed that. And they were... Uh, they also before they they got brought they had a deal with uh superpower super beatdown that bat and the sun youtube channel okay. which i don't like that channel because it's obsessed with heroes against heroes and that was um Valiant's main event with harbinger wars right, right, right so every single comic book has been with this hero against hero when it doesn't even actually fit Right. So it's right. like they force it upon the, all the characters to fight against each other, and it doesn't work. It might have worked for Marvel and DC, but not for these characters. Yeah. I just don't like that they try to follow the whole <laughs> Civil War train, and it just uh, didn't work for me. Right, right. And again, that's that's one of those things that has to be earned, right? Like, Cap fighting Iron Man doesn't mean anything in, unless it has 75 years of history behind it. And that's yeah. the only reason it means something. So, yeah, you, you gotta earn that. And the thing is, I found out that the company that brought Valiant saw this happening, and they didn't like... They caught up the deal with Bat in the Sun, the YouTube channel. They okay. canceled the, the Ninjak uh, the web series that they had. And... Yeah, they had canceled that, and they don't. They didn't want the the Valiant to do any deals with them anymore because huh. they didn't like. Because it wasn't. It was messing up the brand of the company. They felt it was messing up the brand of the company. Yeah, especially and, when they're about to launch a, a 
you know, a, another shared universe movie thing. Yeah. <laughs> so they started making a, yeah, they are making a Sony uh, universe with Sony. So I'm kind of glad that new company took over and changed things that's been going on. But the thing is the comic books are still in effect because, you know, the comic books are in three months ahead. So it's not, everything is not in transition. Right. But yeah, it's, it's been messing up all the, all the plot lines. I, I've, I know Ninja got canceled, and I mean, yeah, and uh, Bloodshot had gotten canceled. I'm relaunching that, and all the series are not selling well because of this whole marketing plan with Bat and the Sun. I think people didn't like the idea of Heroes Against Heroes for Valiant, right? And this happened with Quantum and Woody. It just messed up the storyline. And what I didn't like is that this. Title was announced to be canceled in August, and they set up a new plot line at the end of the comic book. Like, what is the point? This thing is canceled, and the last Quantum Woody series didn't last that long. So, what are you expecting that you're going to be writing this book again when you're not? Don't set up a plot, a new plot line when you're not going to write this book again. It just bothered me. <laughs> So I gave this uh, a 5.0 because I didn't like Chav Saul acting out of character and not understanding what Quantum Woody is doing. She was acting like a douchebag. <laughs> so yeah, it's just... <laughs> and I did like what they wrote Axel Manowar understanding them, but I didn't, I didn't understand why Chav Saul didn't see eye to eye with Quantum Woody. And even in Harbinger Wars, she she uh she lost her job because she was on the side of Livewire and Exo Man of War because the government wanted to kill um the Pizit Pizot children and they didn't agree with that, so they lost their jobs. And now they are on the run. That's in the Exo Man of Wars title. But um and here, I know this takes place a little bit before that, before they she loses her job, but it's kind of weird that she doesn't that she went the opposite. So it's, it is totally out of character for her. All right, well, Quantum and um, you're muted. I mean, you still muted. Yeah, well, Quantum and Woody sliding in just underneath Pearl, number four. Uh, let's talk about Star Wars number 57, because I think that one's going to be a slightly more pleasant tale. And this yeah, is that, that one was much well. more enjoyable. I actually like that one. Sorry, it's just that I I liked the Quantum Woody from 1 to 11, but then the 12 just messed up everything. It just gave it a bad ending. Yeah, so, yeah, it just, it just gave it a bad ending to the whole entire series I actually enjoyed. Which put me in an uncomfortable position. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, so uh, Star Wars. You can hear me? All right. Yeah, yeah, I can hear you fine. Oh, because I didn't see the green meter on mine. That's all. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. So um, the Star Wars is written by Karen Gillen, and the artist is. Angel Utisa, I think that's how you say it. And uh, this story is going off of where uh, Luke, Han, and um, Leia 
and C3PO and R2D2 are trying to hide from their perils. Like they go on a moon and they hide. Excuse me. Yeah, so they hide there and and what is it? Uh, yeah, they they hide in there and they find out that this this moon actually has a civilization. There's actually people who's living in there and. They meet up with the with the person, the king, who's who's the person is in charge of the the people that live there, and the the I mean Hank Hank not Hank I mean Han Hank Han Luke and Leia are going suspicious with the king because uh, they're surprised that he's never been taken over by the Imperials or the Empire. So they just have been asking him questions and he's been telling them that uh that their civilization has always been prepared for war and every time their perils imperils try to come in, they fight them off. They never they never stay out by, but for some reason, uh was it Luke still doesn't un- doesn't believe that he, he is that's his word and they're they're so suspicious about it, but um apparently at the end of the issue, uh, some wolf beast thing ends up attacking the a farm and they have to go protect it, and the king brings out some blades which looked pretty cool, and I actually enjoyed this one because uh because there was. There was a little bit of conflict, which did make sense for Luke, because uh, he kind of sounded whiny, and I always noticed that type of flaw that Luke has, and I was like, yep, that's definitely Luke Skywalker. He's a little whiny, so and he didn't understand the king at all. Go right, so uh, let me ask you about, so I enjoyed this book. I, what, did, what did you yeah, say this book overall? Oh, I would give it a 8.0. Okay, so right on. I was exactly in the same place, 8.0. So one of my questions is, so how did you, what did you think about the scene where uh, Leia comes around the corner and sees Han shirtless chopping wood uh, and Uh-oh. and blushes as if she's never seen <laughs> that was a topless cute. man? Because she does, she does, I think she's, because she's supposed to find Han attractive and I mean, they obviously get together in the future, but, but yeah, I thought that was a little cute seeing Leia get all blushy when she sees Charlize Han. <laughs> um, he's on mute again. Okay, sorry. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a little hard for me to buy. I mean, this whole shtick that like Leia, and I I get that like uh, in Star Wars she's supposed to be a fairly young princess, but um, it's yeah, it's like the 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 thought that she's like just that proper, um, you, you know, in the Republic. Uh, I don't know. It's it's fine though. Uh, that that just struck me as. Um, there, there are pieces of this story that are spiritually appropriate for Star Wars, but take a little creative license. Um, and so it's a little jarring sometimes when they're like, 
they they hew so close to like the skin of like what the original what was portrayed on on screen originally with these characters um, that it, it kind of caught me a, a little bit off guard. I really like the, one of the scenes that I felt like was very true in terms of you know there, there's a weird thing in Star Wars where uh, you know Han, Leia, and Luke in some ways are kind of like the equivalent of Kirk McCoy and Spock, and there's something specific and special about their interrelationship when the three of them are together versus how they interact with other characters. Um, and so it's one of the reasons I really enjoyed this comic is because we're getting to see that, right? And it's always been my question of, like, so so something happens with Luke, right, between destroying the Death Star by sheer luck, right, in the seat of yeah. his pants, and being the commander Skywalker that we see in the Empire Strikes Back, where he's now experienced and senior and a leader. Um, and and I love it anytime that these stories are told about that evolution of his character, but also about Leia and Han, how they grow from being I mean, Leia's a kid, really, in in this in episode uh four. Um, and so there's growth here too, but I, I, I love this story of the three of them and, and also the notion that to a certain extent, you know, primarily embodied by Han, this is also downtime for them. Um, and it's, it's, it's a chance to relax. Uh, I also really love the, the character scene, uh, between Han and Luke where Luke, you know, consistently doesn't trust the older male, uh, who's the leader of, of, of the people on this planet, but immediately finds trust in the beautiful daughter uh, of him as well. Yeah, I noticed the daughter was different relationship. Yeah, and Han Han immediately calls him on it, right? He says, hey, let let me guess, her you trust, right? So I thought that was very... Yeah, of course, because she looked beautiful according to him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I also like the art in this, and, and I'm a big Salvador La Roca fan who has been the artist on this book as well as several other Star Wars books. Um, he gets called out a lot for the photorealism um, and drawing the characters so that they look almost exactly like uh, you know portraits of um, Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher uh, and Mark Hamill. I have been fine with that. I do like this artist, uh, Angel Unzueta. Uh, I do like his take on it because um, just in terms of that uh, – these characters, you can clearly tell who these characters are in terms of the actors that portrayed them, but but it is not like it doesn't feel like you're looking at like a Photoshop, you know, version um, of their character. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, no, I really like this one. Um, Injustice Two Annual Number Two. Yeah. Um, okay, so this issue is written by uh, Tom Taylor and Juan. Alvaran is the artist. And so yeah. The artist I mean the book is coming off um it tells a story in the past where uh there's a the first time uh Superman's parents actually meets um Bruce Wayne and Selena Kyle and and Alfred. So yeah, there's a, a story that um that they meet the they meet uh the Kents and there's a relationship between uh between them like they uh Jonathan Kent gets along with Batman and and 
first Martha can't get along with Catwoman, so it's like there's a a meeting between the there's a relationship between the characters and um and there's another there's also going back and forth from the from the from the past and the future and there's because uh what is it that i mean jonathan kent is trying to tell um batman to forgive superman for doing all the stuff that he's done and batman doesn't want to forgive him because he killed uh the joker and jonathan kent is trying to tell him to let that go because um, I'm pretty sure if someone close to you were was killed, you'll probably do the same. So, <laughs> so he tried to understand that, and at, by the end of the story, he does end up apologizing to Superman for not being there for him when the time came to a uh, Joker killing Lois Lane and not being instead of being over emotional about him killing someone, he should have just been there for him and. Your compassion about what what he's just lost. So I actually liked that a lot, and it really was a very emotional story. I did like how um, Jonathan Kent was able to be the father that Bruce Wayne never got the chance to have, and that was great to see that. And I do like there's one thing I do see this and I don't see in Tom King's uh Batman series, which is I like the way Tom Taylor writes Batman and Catwoman. They're more I don't know, intimate and they have more conversation and doesn't seem repetitive with Tom King's. <laughs> and I I think I honestly wish that Tom Taylor was actually writing the Batman series rather than Tom King. But yeah. <laughs> I just I just like Tom Taylor's writing better. That's about that's what it is. Go ahead. Go. Very cool. So does this wrap up the Injustice series? Not really. That's what <laughs> that's what that's the only disappointing thing. That <laughs> it doesn't wrap up anything. It's just uh another issue in I me mean, another yeah, another issue within the story. That's the only thing that disappoints me. And there's one scene I did like when Deadshot was gonna kill Lois uh Lois Lane and uh they did stop that shot from ha- um from killing Lois Lane but uh Lois Lane was able to protect herself before Night Nightwing and Batwoman came to just to defend her and I like that because she was able to do some kung fu and that she made some sense because she's been Superman's wife for m- many years and her father's also a general, so she would she should have known how to fight by then. <laughs> I don't always like the concept of Superman always saving her. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I so get yeah, that. I I gave this uh eight point Okay. All yeah. right. All right. So last issue in the review segment is Immortal Hulk number nine, pre- uh, published by Marvel, subtitled The Sinners. Writer Al Ewing. Pencils, inks, and colors. So this uh, issue kind of is a two-part thing. Um, they do this kind of dance back and forth between one creative team and another. Um, and so Martin Simmons um, 
did the pencils, inks, and colors uh, where Crusher Creel is featured, and then the regular art team of Joe Bennett, Rui Jose, and Paul Mautz uh, did the work on the pages that focused on the Hulk, and it was all lettered by Corey Pettit. Uh, so the situation is, surprisingly, we open this issue with Crusher Creel and Iron Man, of all things. This issue is about the Absorbing Man being recruited by the yokels at Shadow Base, including one now deceased Dr. Clive. So we paint the picture of Creel being a down-on-his-luck bum of a villain, which seems to be a running theme in the Marvel Universe, if you tracked the Shocker uh, arc over in Miss Marvel. Um, having had a chance to go legit with long-term girlfriend Titania, that has been going on for... Man, tw uh, 20 years? It was mid-80s, 30 years. So it was mid-80s when uh, Crusher Creel and Titania were hooked up in the original Secret Wars miniseries. Um, when she got the gig, when she gets a gig, when she gets a gig at Roxen Corporation, not that working for Roxen is necessarily a legit gig, uh, but Creel turned this down to pull a diamond heist, which he had concocted because pride uh and so he gets a deal to get out of jail if he goes to work for the guys at shadow base uh and he then gets a hyped version of the hulk super soldier serum that turns him red a la red hulk and fights on on art uh i'm curious as to what caused the work split on art in this issue uh just out of curiosity's sake um you know, was it Bennett needing a breather or some space, or was it purely a creative choice to, to diametrically oppose these two art styles? Uh, either way, it works really well. Simmons' work reminds me of the Black Widow ongoing that let launched out of the character surge of popularity out of MCU Phase 1. He does a wonderful job on facials especially, having solid differentiation between character head sizes and the cut of their jaws. Bennett's craft is continuing to grow and solidify. This is probably his best work. And it seems like I keep saying that. It seems like each issue of Immortal Hulk, I go, man, this issue is Joe Bennett's best work. Uh, what I like about this is how it's a thing that the Hulk always looks a slight bit different each issue, uh, and sometimes even within the, the same issue. And originally, like, I felt like, ah, oh, man, this artist is really struggling to grasp up. But I, I now I think it's, like, deliberate. Um, and it kind of fits when he's a Jekyll and Hyde kind of character who goes through this transformation. Um, you know, uh... So, you know, there's a half-panel splash page of the Absorbing Man descending down upon the Hulk. And look, it's tough to draw a truly interesting Absorbing Man, but Bennett really nails it in this panel. It's a great, like, superhero action pose of Creel uh, descending, like, out of the air onto the Hulk. And the Hulk going, wait, what's that sound? Um, so that panel gave me pause. I just kind of sat there and, like, looked at it, stared at it, and enjoyed it. Uh, it was that good. Um, I also love the fan, there's this fan blade panel work on a page where Creel, where the Creel and Banner fight really gets started in its first pugilistic exchange. Uh, and we end with Simmons and Bennett both getting to do creature pages. And man, I really want to see Bennett, and I think I've mentioned this before, I really want to see him do a full-blown horror comic entirely outside of the mainstream, like Capes and Tights universes, when his time on this run is complete. He's doing great stuff. But I would love to see him draw, like, a Hellboy or get together with Cullen Bunn and do a big horror comic um, or something like that. Um, on story, Ewing is really weaving quite a tapestry and it continues to arc towards an apogee that I'm still unable to calculate the trajectory on. Again, same thing with him. Each issue, I put it down and I'm like, man, this is Ewing's best work. Um, and, I, and so I thought it was peaking with issue number eight, but no, we're still climbing. Here we get what you think is an introspective on Crusher Creel as a character expose. 
But let's get real, Creel is a mid-tier villain at best. What's really going on here is a treatise on pride and hubris as more of a general philosophical statement on man. Creel is just the proxy, and that is what makes this far more interesting than the coat of paint you might initially view this as. Ewing traverses a ton of ground in this issue. He goes through Banner's father, the Hulk's origin, the Hulk's strengths and weaknesses and relationships, man's kindness and compassion and lack thereof, um, the, the, the notions of getting your come up, its retribution, karma. Wow. Um, between this and The Good Place, which I'm watching on TV, I think I'll be ready to take a class on ethics and pass it pretty easily um, when you pull all the topical matter in this comic book apart during this run. When this is all done, it'll perhaps be the most intelligent, sophisticated take on man versus monster, on the man versus monster core of the Hulk mythology. And issue number nine advances that evolution significantly. I'd love to tell you that issue number eight has been the best issue of this ongoing so far, but again, I have to pass the baton to yet the next issue in the series. Uh, I overall, I scored this an 8.5 out of 10. If you need a three-semester hour credit in ethics and the philosophy of man, sign up for class with Professor Al Ewing. But be prepared to be shaken up, because when the writing forces you to take a look at yourself and question whether or not you are more man than monster, or if it's the other way around, you might find yourself squirming in your seat. Paired with Bennett's art like a perfectly seared steak, pairs with an Olema Cabernet Sauvignon. If you don't know what that is, it's one of the best Cabernet Sauvignons of 2018. This ongoing series has traversed an arc from the mildly quirky to the interestingly macabre to the point of simply exquisite storytelling. In the outset of this issue, there of this of this ongoing, there was a lot of like, ah, what what is this? What are they trying to do? Oh, wait, okay, I get it. Wait, what did they do there? Uh, wait, and now it's kind of settling out and smoothing out, and you're really kind of understanding what's going on with this ongoing comic book. Um, if there were any questions as to whether or not this is something special, let this issue erase any doubt. I'm pretty sure that if I leaf back through the pages of my nine reviews to date, I've said that before, and I think I'll continue to say it again. Did you read this, Stephen? No, not really. Not, no, I haven't. I dropped uh, Immortal Hulk at issue number six. Yeah. Yep. Because um, I didn't like the idea of the Avengers killing uh, the Hulk and... It just seems weird because uh, Captain Marvel was against killing the Hulk when Hawkeye did it in Civil War Two, and then all of a sudden she's doing it. Well, it I, just threw me off. Yeah, no, and I and I get that. again. I I think and, it, and I and I think it didn't seal until reading the very last couple pages of that issue that I the Avengers knew that they weren't destroying the Hulk. They knew that they were just putting him down temporarily. So. Um, yeah. it, it was a matter of containing him as a threat rather than actually killing him. Uh, there were still some, I still had some questionable things. If you remember, we talked about it. I, I had some questions in that issue as well, um, about like, you know, why to wait, why, why do you leave Captain America to go to with the Hulk when your most powerful Avenger is what evacuating people like, you know, so there was, there were some things there and. And again, if there are some rough edges in this ongoing, th that's where it is. It's it's when it cuts into the Marvel Universe proper um, and, and things get interesting. But by the same token, you go two issues later, I think, in issue number eight, where you have the notion of like Captain Marvel you know, handpicking Walter Langowski to now be the head of something called Gamma Flight. And I'm like, oh, giddy up. This is like, this is superhero stuff and it's kind of cool. Um, so I don't know. It's a... Uh, 
I, I know Hulk is an acquired taste. It is not something I normally read either. Um, but out of everything that I've read of the Hulk, uh, this is probably the thing that I am most on board with. Let's move on to the best thing we read this week. Um, I'll cut my part of the segment short. The best thing I read this week was cover number three, and I've already keeped enough praise upon Bendis for that. What was your best thing you read this week? Uh, my best thing I read this week was Justice League Dark number five. The writer is James Tallian the fourth. Um, and his two artists in his book is Daniel Sampier and Juan Abaran, which is the same artist from Injustice. The Injustice 2 annual. Yeah. So um, this story is, is dealing with uh, night. Uh, it's dealing with Detective Chip mourning the death of Nightmaster and they're they're uh, Wonder Woman and Justice Dark wants they're preparing to have a fight with some with uh some match um some mystical uh monster and what is it uh for some reason Detective Chimp doesn't want to fight he doesn't he feels uncomfortable and the reason why he doesn't want to fight is because he he doesn't he doesn't like he doesn't uh he he misses Nightmaster and he he doesn't want to lose his own life because Nightmaster lost his life fighting being a superhero and he just feels uncomfortable to do the same and he just so yeah they're they're trying to understand where he's coming from and they don't end up understanding where he's coming from and uh what is it detective chimp ends ends up fighting with the other heroes to fight out the monster they have to fight but um yeah they uh at the end of the issue he's talking with dr 13 and and uh what is it uh he realizes the danger that that uh does the dark is going to go into fighting these dragons and uh and he decides to like you know what i'm just gonna f- help him fight and he decides to bring his will to fight so i really did enjoy this issue because there was some great character development with detective chimp and i did like the whole story of losing somebody he he had a really close time with and he didn't want to lose his own life i did like the element and it was pretty interesting and and it was very well done i also noticed that uh that uh detective chip also has a drinking problem and i thought that was interesting that there's a flaw within him that he uses drinking to order to cope which is not a good thing so i'm hoping he does learn that to get off of it eventually but yeah it's 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 a deep flaw within the character and thought that was interesting and i gave this a a, a 8.5 
All right, very cool. Let's uh, push on to honorable mentions. Uh, just about everything in my honorable mention list we've talked about this week, Immortal Hulk. So honorable mentions are any issues outside of the best thing that we read this week that we also scored an 8.0 or above. Uh, so for me, again, my cover number three, I rated as a 9.0. The other issues that I rated an 8.0 or above were Immortal Hulk number nine, Star Wars number 57, and the only thing that we didn't talk about this week was Batman number 59, which was the last thing that I read in my stack. I don't want to get into, and I, I, heading maybe halfway through that issue, I wasn't feeling that issue as much, um, but then we get Batman punching uh, Jim Gordon, which is a huge resetting of a status quo uh, and a, a sharp swerve in relationship uh, between the two that is definitely going to color uh, the future, at least for this run, um, and then probably two runs from now when another creative team is on it, it will probably be an event that they entirely ignore, <laughs> right, or ten years from now, like, some writer refers back to is like, hey, remember that one time that Batman punched you? And uh, so, um, <laughs> but right now, I was like, when I flipped it to that page, I was like, whoa, and I mean, they're kind of painting Batman as a guy who's out of control, um, I think this is still, you know, it's, it, it's, 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 the whole sequence of events of like the wedding and then Nightwing being shot and then other things that are going on in Batman's life um, that, uh, that I think are pushing him to the brink. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Steven, what were the other issues in your honorable mentions? Um, my honorable mentions was Doctor Strange number eight, Infinity War, Ghost Panther number one. Marvel Knights 20th Anniversary number two, and Mr. and Mrs. X number five. So still on that Mr. and Mrs. X, and it is apparently yeah, I like it. <laughs> quite well by you. Um, yeah. So let's uh, also quickly get, let's run down next week's poll list so that the viewers and listeners can have some anticipation of what we might be covering in next week's podcast. All right. Um, I'm, my poll list is... Uh, is Action Comics one one thousand five? Now is is Bendis doing that? Bendis is on Action yes, Comics. Yes, he right? is. Okay. He right. is. Yeah, I've been liking it. Uh, Daredevil number six hundred and twelve. And I want to stop you here too. So, is this the first Zdarsky issue of Daredevil? No, it's not. Okay. It's okay. the it's the final issue of Charles Souls series. Oh, okay. All right, very cool. Issue. That's why I'm picking it up. Okay, very nice. And there's Old Man Hulk on number 11, uh, Infinity Wars, Weapon X number 2, which is another final issue. Uh, and then there's Dead Man Logan number 1, uh, Spider-Gwen Ghost Spider number 2, and Injustice versus Master of the Universe number 5. Okay, and in my polls next week, we get Fantastic Four number four. Uh, something weird is funky is going on, for, I think caused by the shipping weirdness around Thanksgiving, because Fantastic Four number three also came out in November. Uh, Aquaman Justice League Drowned Earth number one. I also don't understand the numbering on this, because I swore that the last thing was called Drowned Earth number one. Um, but maybe oh, because... It was flipped. It was Justice League slash oh Aquaman. Oh my god, come on. And now this that. one's Aquaman slash Justice League, which is confusing. That's <laughs> horrible. Absolutely horrible. You uh, did the same thing with the Witch Hour one, the Justice League Dark. Okay. Yeah, it is flipped it over. That's uh, it. It's not <laughs> it's good. Crazy. Yeah, it's not good. Like that. To me, they just put number two. That's it. Right, exactly. That's why, not... why 
switch over. Yeah, ed- editors, editorial. That's not witty. That's not smart. That doesn't impress me. That just, I just like, confuses yeah, people. Exactly. Uh, Titans number thirty. Uh, Wonder <laughs> Woman number fifty nine. Batgirl number twenty nine. Uh, so I'm reading a lot of DC and a lot of women next week. Uh, Red Sonja number twenty three by Dynamite. And Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number eighty eight by IDW. My grabs from your pull is Steven are also Daredevil number 612. So I'm pleased. I was wondering if it was Zdarsky's first uh, issue, issue, and I was like, oh, well, this will be cool. Uh, But I am equally pleased to know that it's Charles Soule's last. Uh, I mean, I'm not happy to hear Charles Soule moving on. I'm actually very curious. Zdarsky, there was a a moment of serendipity because when he completed uh, Peter Parker, his run on Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man, I I don't... I either asked him or I made, like, a side about, like, hey, you know, I'm really interested to see what you're doing next to see if he would drop anything. But he didn't mention anything at that point. Um, so I was very pleased uh, that uh, following him on Twitter allowed me to catch his uh, his tweet out that he was going to – when he was finally able to say uh, that he was uh, going to be doing Daredevil. Because when he was asked before, he just said, ah, I, I am doing something next, but I can't talk about it yet. Uh, and then I'm also going to read Infinity Wars Weapon Hex number two. Not for any particular reason. I don't even know what the hell that book is about, but just a roll of the dice wound up being... I like the first one. This is pretty interesting. And I'm also picking up everything that's on your list except for Red Sonja because okay. I haven't been following that. Okay. All right. Very cool. So we should have a uh, healthy amount of things to talk about next week. Should be exciting as always. Uh, Steven, any final notes before we get out of here? No. I'm, I'm good. Okay, I got to get over to my live stream. So thanks, everybody, f- who happened to join in on the live show. And if not, if you're watching the archive version of this on YouTube, thanks so much for looking in. We appreciate it. Please feel free to like the video and subscribe to the channel if you're listening to the audio version of this. Uh uh, same thing. Please feel free to like and subscribe. Remember, uh, wherever you're listening to this, that in audio format, this is this is available on iTunes, on SoundCloud, and also on Pocket Cast. Um, so it's available in various for various services where you can just subscribe to it, and the episode will show up. I do my best to post get this posted right after we record it. So for audio listeners, uh, you should get it fairly quickly and the video is always immediately available as soon uh within minutes after us closing up shop on the live show on behalf of the e2kg network podcasting channel on youtube gearworks.com and the rounding off infinity gaming channel on youtube my name has been agastically stamus my co-host has been mr Stephen laura Stephen, what is the name of your content channel again ultimate is ultimate awesomeness Right, yes, and that's sir. that's where you will find the show uh, on iTunes as well. Yeah. So, uh, thanks so much for joining in, everybody. We will be back next week, as always, uh, continuing our push towards the end of the year. So thanks again for joining in this week. Uh, we will be back next week to talk to you about more comic books again. Until then, happy hunting. Take care of yourself. Stay safe out there. Read the comics that you like. And come here to talk to us about the comics that you love. That's going to do it for us. We're out. <laughs>